friends, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. My name is Tim Fulton, the founder and chief evangelist for Small Business Matters. I'm your host for today's podcast, and I'm joined by my co-host, Taylor Fulton, the director of marketing for Small Business Matters. Taylor, good afternoon. How are you doing? Good afternoon. Great to be here. Yeah, I am I am really excited about our, our guest today. I think this is our, our final podcast of the year, and, and we may very well have saved the best for last. Our, our guest today is uh, Kevin Foster, and let me just uh, share with our guests a little bit about Kevin. So, you know, as small business owners, if you're worried at all about the decisions that your employees are making and how they may affect your liability and legal position, Kevin is the ethics expert that you need to get them on the right path. Kevin's journey from corporate real estate executive to a convicted felon, 37 months in prison, 28 days in solitary confinement, I think will really resonate with our audience today, Taylor, companies of of all sizes and shapes. Kevin is a former financial executive with the FDIC, the Division of Liquidation, 30-year veteran in, in real estate, and a former CPA with Pete Marwick and Mitchell, now known as KPMG. He shares how easily uh, employees can take the easy road to making bad decisions. Plus, he'll give us tools to prevent legal liability in that case as well. Uh, Taylor, Kevin is the CEO of Business Ethics Advisors. That's his consulting practice. He speaks nationally on ethics and compliance in corporate America, and he uses his ethics tools, which he'll talk about today, to provide ethics awareness and solutions so that others will be prepared to identify the personal characteristics and even the circumstances leading to unethical behavior. So that said, Kevin, welcome to the Small Business Matters podcast. Well, thank you very much, Tim. It's a real pleasure to be here and be with Taylor as well. This is going to be a lot of fun. I'm enjoying, I'll enjoy the conversation here. Well, let's let's get started. Kevin, the first question I've got for you is that you know I've I've known you now for a, a number of months. In fact, I should mention to our audience that Kevin is scheduled to speak at the Small Business Matters Conference uh, coming up. And well, originally scheduled for 2020, and now scheduled for 2021. But one thing that I found Taylor is is that Kevin is very open and very forward about the time that he spent uh, in in federal prison because of a white collar conviction. Kevin, uh, how about sharing with our audience the circumstances of that conviction and anything that you could have done to prevent it? Well, Tim, I was the executive vice president of finance for a real estate development company, and that company ran into some financial problems along the way. But really, they had set the, um, themselves up for failure long before their financial problems. Unfortunately, the way they were selling the lots at one particular development turned out to be illegal. And we had actually, and I had questioned it, um, the whole process of closing the lots. And we got a, a legal opinion from a large law firm. But in the end, that, that project failed. And the investors in that project complained to the Department of Justice and to the North Carolina Attorney General's office. And the DOJ and the North Carolina AG totally disagreed with what we were doing and accused the company of, of fraud. Now, I had absolutely nothing to do with that project in the 
in terms of closing the loans that were at question and even the details in that project. But I was an officer of the company and the feds really pursued me based on conspiracy. And most white collar professionals, even small business people, do not realize what a low bar there is for a prosecutor to pursue conspiracy. All a prosecutor needs to do is to show that an individual advanced conspiracy in some way. So some document they wrote, a phone call, a text, a meeting that they attended, almost anything to show they advanced conspiracy in some way, and they could be nailed for the entire conspiracy. So in my case, it was a $100 million conspiracy charge. So even though my part in it was small, almost non-existent, there was millions of documents over time that were contributed to that particular project, and my name was on a lot of those documents. So it had been very easy for the feds to prove in some way or manner that I contributed to that conspiracy. And they had... Um, got, they had warned me and told me that they were going to go ahead and pursue, if I decided to go to, tra- um, to trial, um, a 20 to 30 year sentence, which seems like it's totally overkill if I did not plead guilty. So ultimately, I pled guilty to one count to avoid 20 to 30 years in prison mm. and then spending 37 months based on that one count. And then I had some home confinement on top of that. And two years of, of um, essentially it's probation, but they call it supervised um, release. So I think most people do not realize that um, the feds, once you're in their crosshairs, they can get you for almost anything. And they'll use every tool possible um, in order to nail you. Wow, that's certainly something I, I, I agree that I, I think at least in the in the universe of small and mid-sized companies, I, I think very few owners and CEOs are, are aware of that at all. And you'll hear me say this when we have our um, conference, Tim, but there are 5,000 criminal laws that get you put in prison, but another 10,000 to 300,000 federal regulations that can also get you put in prison. Hmm. So there's a Harvard law professor named um, Harvey Silverblade who wrote a book called Three Felonies a Day, where he estimates that the average American businessman or person commits three felonies a day every day. Now, these could be EPA um, um, violations, IRS violations. All these obscure regulations that are out there can be used in order to um, nail an unsuspecting small business owner. Wow, that's amazing. So, Kevin, thanks for sharing your, your story with us. And, and one of the things we always like to uh, get at in this podcast is, is lessons learned from mistakes or successes. So I'm curious if you could just touch on some of the lessons you learned through your journey. Okay, I think one of the number one lessons um, revolves around ethical leadership. So um, without it, without a doubt, it's up to the boss, so the owners of the small businesses, how they create their um, their culture. Those uh, Their employees are not stupid. They are looking around. They understand exactly what they can get away with from the boss. 
and from other leaders within that company. So I think the number one thing that um, a small business owner should be doing is creating an ethical culture within his organization. We, we didn't have that in our company. And there were a lot of red flags that I saw that I totally ignored that I should never have, um, should never have ignored. But people will see these different red flags, but they want their jobs and they want to do a good job for the company. But, you know, the long and short of it is they're going to take clues from the boss. So we like to look around from the major businesses out there that are well-known um, today, whether it's Wells Fargo or the Volkswagen case. These are all failures at the very highest level of management. So the number one concern for a small business owner is creating that ethical culture. It'll save them a lot of headaches in the long run. Do not shortcut the ethical culture. Well, and that's a, that's a great point because I think a lot of, particularly in small business, owners um, underestimate the value of having you know a strong culture, strong core values, you know strong ethical posture, and and don't understand what the the ramifications of that that could be. So, Kevin, I'm curious. It you know for me, it takes great courage to do what you've done to speak to be willing to speak about your experience and share your experience with uh, business leaders. What made you decide to talk about your conviction? It would have been easy just to keep it to yourself. And and what do you expect people to learn from when you tell your story? Well, Tim, um, two weeks after I reported to prison in North Carolina, I was literally thrown into solitary confinement at the end of a very cold, dark block of cells. And inside it was cold and lonely. Everything was painted battleship gray. The food was absolutely disgusting. It was terrible. It was a terrible um, place to be. And it was in the solitude and disgust um, and despair of that cell that I decided that no other person should be experiencing what I'm experiencing right now. And it was then and there that I decided that I would do all I could when I got out to warn other professionals that this could happen to them. And I did not want to see that. I wanted to see their families in place didn't want to see them humiliated the way I was humiliated. I was um, lost pretty much everything that I had with the exception of my marriage. My wife stayed with me. I was very, very fortunate and blessed in that. Um, but I didn't want others to go through what I went through. And I was going to do everything I could to warn them that what I was going through could absolutely happen to them. And I was blindsided and I didn't want anyone else to be blindsided. So I decided then and there I was going to do all I could. So eventually I got out of that, that cell and I was released to the general population again and made it a practice of talking to uh, my fellow inmates about why they were there, uh, what happened to them, what decisions did they make or did not make that led to 
their incarceration. And based on those conversations, I came up with what I would call the personal characteristics and circumstances leading to unethical behavior, which includes um, illegal behavior. And I was able to distill it to an acronym, and the acronym happens to be ethics. So let's just spell out ethics. E is exaggerated ego. So it is um, people with a really large ego tend to get themselves into circumstances which will tend to lead to unethical behavior. The ego is how we view ourselves. And the ego is going to do everything that it can to be able to protect whatever that view of oneself is. So it's whether it's our uh, position within society or our, um, our calling in life, our professional standing, um, it's going to do everything that it can. So when you're looking at that guy with that really large ego, let's look at someone like Harvey Weinstein, for example. This is a guy who was at the top of um, Hollywood. There is no way anyone was going to challenge him in almost anything that he did. So all of his sexual prowess with all those young starlets, all that was well known within um, Hollywood, as it turns out. But no one was going to challenge him on that. And um, I think that's a really good example of an exaggerated ego. I think Jeffrey Epstein is also another guy that kind of fits into that type of characteristic. So I would say to, um, to the small business owner, you know, check your ego. Make sure that your ego is not so bad, so big that your people are afraid to say something, you know, to you. The T is um, temptation, which is really opportunity. We are all faced with temptation in the workplace, whether it's the temptation to overcharge on a particular account or to run up our expenses for our mm -hmm. expense accounts or you know, take advantage of a particular situ um, situation. Temptation can come into um, many different characteristics here. And we're all faced with temptation every day. And again, that's really opportunity. H is hijacked by outside pressures. And what I'm talking about here could be um, running anything from workplace pressures. So guys in your office that um, have a lot of workplace pressures, they're pressured by um, deadlines, for example. They're pressured to you know, um, test like Theranos, for example, the blood, um, blood test product testing, almost anything could fall into workplace pressures. And then we have financial pressures or pressures at home. People have pressures to fall into um, different financial pressures at home, recent financial losses. There are pressures with uh, maybe gambling losses. Alcohol and drug abuse can fall into this particular category right here as well. And then I is integrity failures, and this is primarily with management, which I'm really keyed in on. So when the people around you are unethical, it's pretty hard for you to stay ethical. And this is where integrity failures and in management really comes in. Um, C is consequences not considered. 
So, you know, people do not think that the fact that I'm doing what I'm doing at work right now, they're not going to think that it can come back and haunt them in some, in some way, but it will come back and haunt them. S is um, stinking thinking. This is where um, I'll never get caught. Everyone in my industry does this. If I do this, just this one, this one thing, then everything else will be okay. But it's it's these um, it's a combination of all of these. It's generally just not one. It could be one or more of all these different circumstances that can lead to a pattern of a slippery slope where certain individual find themselves falling and falling into um, bad behavior. And this bad behavior can be also illegal. And what is unethical in our society today could also be illegal. And so it becomes a trap. So these are all traps. But Taylor, I feel like I've, I've gotten a whole semester of business ethics in about five minutes. I mean, that I've taken notes as fast as I can go. Now, Kevin, I'm interested. So I think most companies, and especially small businesses, probably think about ethics and say, well, I'm, I'm ethical, I'm doing the right things. And likely, like you said, there's probably things that they're not aware of. Um, so what are some some tactics businesses can do to, to audit themselves and figure out uh, if they are truly ethical, if there's things flying under the radar? I would say that the primary thing is that they need to be able to take a look and, at um, what their employees are doing. And I'm saying that as far as um, perhaps you know, surveys of the, of, the, of the employees and taking an honest look at how customers are being, um, being treated because all this is being filtered out in one way or another. Mm-hmm. So again, the employees and customers are giving you some feedback on whether they're being treated fairly. So companies that have like a really high turnover rate, for example, that's a good indication that there's probably something wrong in that company. And if you're clients are firing you or your customers are firing you, trying to do surveys of why they're doing that is probably also a good indication that there's something wrong within that organization. You know, most companies have an annual ethics training course that, you know, maybe an hour long. Uh, Those tend to be rules-based ethics but if there's no ethics training in the organization whatsoever, then absolutely there needs to be some ethics training within the organization. And there needs to be you know, some sort of ethics and code of conduct um, policies. And I really harp on values-based ethics, not just rules-based ethics. The rules-based ethics are, you know, you shall not do this, you shall not do that. But values-based ethics are those ethics that are really oriented towards we have this culture of integrity. We have this culture of honesty. It's you know kind of like the golden rule, what you would do around your own particular family, how you would treat your friends and family. All this comes back to values-based. You know, all the things that you learned when you were in grade school and you learned every Sunday in, in church. This is all values-based um, training. I think ultimately, by the time you're old enough to be sitting in um, in your chair in an office, 
you should pretty much know what values-based ethics is. It's not just rules-based ethics. So I think that if a company is not doing that basic ethics training, then they should be. And certainly that's part of my practice is doing ethics training. And ultimately, companies should have ethics-based awareness in all levels of their organization. So your next-gen and emerging leaders, they should have ethics training themselves. So, for example, I have an ethical leadership mentoring program where I'll take 8 to 12 leaders, and these could be existing leaders, existing executives, or emerging or next-gen leaders, and run through an eight-week mentoring program where we go through in great detail um, all these personal characteristics and circumstances leading to um, unethical behavior, that values-based ethics that everyone should know. And each of these leaders should be able to take those lessons and drill it down to all of their reports as well. So, Kevin, I, I recently heard the author Jim Collins in an interview talk about uh, Admiral James Stockdale, who was in a, a, a Vietnamese um, prison for eight years during the Vietnam War and talked about his experience in that prison and, and how he how he survived that. And I'm, I'm curious to hear from you, your, how did you survive both mentally and physically the time that you spent in prison? I can't even begin to imagine what that experience would be like. How did you, how did you survive that? I put a lot of my experience in perspective. Um, and let me just say this up front. I would not desire my experience on anybody else, um, as you can possibly imagine. But in a lot of ways, I don't regret that I had the experience because I grew spiritually and personally, you know, from the experience. And very early on, I was introduced to Joseph Campbell, um, the hero's, um, the hero's journey. I learned about the hero's journey. The, you know, the hero of a thousand faces is a very, very instrumental. And I put myself in that particular um, perspective where I entered my own particular hero's journey. You know, I had the call to adventure, which was being hauled off to, um, to prison to begin with. And then I had my time with the belly of the whale um, ex- um, experience, mother's helpers. I had mentors along the, along the way. But ultimately, you know, it was one of these type of things. There was a reason and a purpose for what it was going through. And I knew that I was going to come out to be a better person because of it. And it was that inner knowing that kept me going the entire time. And again, I would not wish it on anybody else. But, you know, I knew that I needed to be able to tell my story. And that story, you know, was really all of our stories. We all go through trials and tribulations. We all go through bad times. This has happened since the beginning of man. And ultimately, people would go back on these horrible adventures and they would come back and they would tell their story around the campfire at night. So all I'm doing now is telling my story to my fellow tribesmen and so they would learn from my story 
just as people before me were able to tell their story. So the whole tribe was educated so that we all benefit from what happened to the people who came before us. Kevin, I'm curious for for listeners that are maybe uh, a manager or a director or an executive at a company, but maybe not uh, the top boss, if they're sensing unethical behavior or they're they're seeing things that just aren't quite right, what what should they do? What are some recommendations you give those types of employees for uh, creating awareness around ethics and and ensuring that it's not widespread? Okay. So let's just say then in your example there, you see something that's unethical that's happening in the corporation and you don't like what's going on. It, it's eating at your own soul. Then if the company does not have a vehicle in order for you to be able to report it or talk to somebody about it, if there is, um, if the company has an attorney, an attorney, I would go to that particular person mm-hmm. or the HR department. It kind of depends, or the owner or the board of directors. So a lot of mid-sized companies will have a general counsel, and those general counsel in a small to a large um, to a medium-sized company are often the chief compliance or the chief ethics officers, and they report to the board of directors. So if you're afraid of uh, reporting to the owner of the company or you know the major shareholder, then I would go to an HR director or to the general counsel and report it there. And if it doesn't stop or if you don't feel comfortable doing um, doing that, then, you know, ultimately, you know, you know, there may be that you have to quit. You know, in my case, I actually quit six months before my case became national news. You can still um, Google my name and see the FBI announcement that came out in on June 1st, 2007. But in October 2006, I had actually quit because I saw the writing on the wall. This company was not going to uh, was not going to last and there were going to have some legal problems. And I was talked into staying by the owner of the company. In retrospect, I should have just quit and and nothing would have happened to me. I could have gone my own particular way and never gone to um, to prison. But remember what I said about conspiracy. So the longer that you stay on, you can find yourself being a co-conspirator. So you want to be able to save yourself and save your family from, you know, whatever those possible consequences could possibly be. Hmm. So Kevin, I've got one more question for you, then I'll turn over to Taylor for his rapid fire questions. So uh, share with our audience, uh, you do a variety of different programs for companies. And and also, how has your practice pivoted since uh, COVID started? Well, it's interesting because originally I did 99% of my business was really speaking live on stage, uh, primarily in keynotes. And about a year ago... I started to go virtual where I was putting together these weekly videos that I was selling to corporations. And these videos were all two to three minutes long. And corporations could put those out 
on their intranet or distributed in some way, but it was a way in order to be able to keep ethics on the top of employees' minds. So I call that everyday ethics. And there are two to three minute videos on ethics topics of that particular week. And so it's a really easy way for employees to be able to listen to a two or three minute video it takes no time at all and be able to, you know, say, hey, look, you know, these are different, you know, subjects that are relevant to what I'm going on today or maybe that particular week, maybe not. But over time, they can um, really keep up on different ethics topics. And then I also created an online ethics course, which um, really followed my Solving Ethics Enigma, which is um, someone can go on and do that online and be able to get an ethics education on, online. And I started to do that. And in October of last year, I had a massive stroke. And that kind of killed me from the last quarter of um, 2019. And then I was able to make great progress. And in January and December, I started remarketing and everything. And then the pandemic occurred, it hit. And then I decided to go totally virtual. So I took what was johnkevinfoster.com and turned it into businessethicsadvisors.com. And I would encourage all your listeners to go to businessethicsadvisors.com. And uh, my programs are all there. And I have uh, my ethics toolkit. And ethics is um, capital E period, capital H period. You know, go on just, you know, the acronym that we talked a little bit later. I put together a toolkit. And in that toolkit is... um, all the tools that we could uh, we can use. So we have, I built a virtual green screen video studio in my home so I can actually do live keynotes or workshops virtually from my home, you know, and stream those out from my home. But one thing that I'm really proud of is my um, ethical leadership accelerator group mentoring where I take eight to 12, you know, emerging or next gen or existing leaders and bring them through this uh, mentoring program that we were talking about later. And we go through on a Zoom call every week and I run through a whole ethics, um, ethical leadership mentoring program. And that's a really great way for leaders to go onto a deep dive ethical leadership program where they can really take that back to their organizations and be able to develop an ethical culture. And again, my online-based ethics courses, that's still available. Everyday Ethics Weekly available, um, weekly videos are there. And then for ethics professionals and leaders, I have an executive forum, which is like a mastermind group where in that case there, you have my telephone number, we meet periodically, and we go in and we actually talk out different ethics issues as like a mastermind. So this allows leaders to talk about, you know, the details and ethics issues that they may uh, may, may be facing. 
And um, so that's really more of um, for ethics professionals and for leaders that really want to address pressing ethical issues. That's what that's all about. Mm -hmm. And then finally, for ethics professionals, I have what's called Everything Ethics, which um, you can um, join me on Zoom. And I invite different ethics professionals and I um, ask them a series of questions very similar to what we do right now. And I invite ethics professionals to participate in that Zoom conference. And then like you, Tim and Taylor, I repurpose that Zoom conference. And then I put that out as an Everything Ethics podcast and distribute it out to my um, my listeners as well. But it's a free-for-all ethical uh, weekly ethics discussion on Zoom. So that's the full t- um, toolkit. So, I mean, I realize that's a lot to um, take in right there. But again, go to businessethicsadvisors.com. And if you check on programs, you'll be able to see my different um, programs, especially if you go in and click on Ethics Toolkit, you'll be able to see all that. Wow, Kevin, that's a, that's, I don't know where you find time in the day. That's, that's a lot of great content and, and great learning opportunities. Uh, particularly for small businesses. Friends, you're listening to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. Our guest today is Kevin Foster. Kevin is the CEO of Business Ethics Advisors. We're having a great conversation about business ethics and particularly as it relates to, to small business owners and leaders. So Taylor, we're ready now for the rapid fire questions. Kevin, the way this works is that Taylor is going to try to stump you with with a couple questions. I'm betting on you, but Taylor, take it from here. Okay. So we'll start uh, with one of our favorites. What is one book uh, or a couple books that you would recommend on ethics to our listeners? There's one that's called Why They Did It um, that I think is a really good um, good. Why book. They Did It. Okay. Um, why, they, why They Did It. Another one is... Um, blindsided, which is how um, people are really blindsided by different ethical issues. I think those are really good books. And one that I mentioned um, earlier, not necessarily about ethics, but it's kind of a cautionary tale, which is three felonies a day. I think those are all very good. Mm -hmm. Excellent. Okay. So on that note, are there any uh, leaders that you look up to or leaders that ethics-wise, are, are great role models for our listeners? I think that's a really good question. There's a guy, I forget his um, first name right now, named Chestnut, who came um, who came out of um, Nike that has a philosophy very similar to mine mm-hmm. about how we all need to take uh, responsibility for our ethical, um, our ethical actions on there. But I would um, refer people to Ethisphere's 100 Most Ethical Companies. I think they do it right in identifying the 100 Most Ethical Companies and look at with, um, how they uh, make those, those choices. So given that we're all sort of in this, this COVID environment, are there any new hobbies or skills or, or talents you've picked up over the past 10 months? <laughs> Or anything you're doing for fun now that you weren't doing for fun a year ago? 
<laughs> well, I think my dog is tired of uh, taking <laughs> as many walks as she takes. So, you know, <laughs> yeah. I think that's number one. I think I've lost 20 pounds since all this started. So I'm, I, I'm that part of that COVID-15 that people talk about gaining weight. I'm on the other side of that, um, fortunately. But I think my uh, my skills as far as, you know, creating video has, um, has increased, um, mm-hmm. you know, quite a bit. And just creating all these new programs, you know, creating content, creating great content. So I've been doing my best on that. So, you know, my uh, my purpose in life now seems to be create content that professionals can use. Fantastic. Is there one company or maybe, again, a couple companies that come to mind that had ethics problems in the past that have actually done a great job of, of turning it around or now uh, an ideal ethics company or at least... Uh, better than they were off before? I think some really turned around. I think Wells Fargo is trying to do as much as they can to mm-hmm. put their best foot forward. Though so they have not just been the, you know, the top, um, you know, the top of it. Um, a lot of these banks, almost anybody who, where ethics are really uh, required to be in there. Um, some of the pharmaceutical companies, you know, come to, um, come to mind that have really had a number of different issues and now have really put an emphasis on ethics. Fantastic. Well, we'll get you out of here on this, Kevin. Um, If there was a movie based on your life, who plays Kevin in that movie? (laughs) That's a a good one. (laughs) I would say probably Kevin Costner. Kevin Uh, Costner, that's a great choice. That is, that's a great choice. All right. Um, once again, I'm, I'm pleased to say, uh, Taylor, that, that Kevin outdid you on those questions, did a great job on those questions. I'm giving that round to Kevin. So, Kevin, I know that a number of our listeners will want to reach out to you. What's the easiest way for them to contact you? I think the easiest way is on LinkedIn. If they just search J. Kevin Foster, Jason John Kevin Foster on LinkedIn, I'm on LinkedIn every single day. And then also Kevin at Business Ethics Advisors, or even my telephone number, which is 770-715-2095. I'm very accessible, and I'm willing to talk to um, talk to anybody. So if anybody has an ethics issue they want to talk about, you know, give me a call, shoot me an email, or look me up on LinkedIn. I'd be more than happy to connect. And by the way, if you're one of those people who have not been listening, I also do pre-incarceration consultant. For those people who are expecting to go to prison, I actually um, prepare them on how to how to go to a prison, what to expect. Mm-hmm. That, oh. Kevin, that, that might be a whole different podcast. <laughs> that we'll, we'll, we'll have you, have you back. Boy, our, our time went so fast today. I, I wish we had more. Taylor, I've got a, a page of notes. I'm still, you know, thinking about this idea that you know there are hundreds of different ways that that companies can run afoul of the law. The average on an average day, three felonies a day. Uh, Kevin shared with us the the six characteristics uh, circumstances that lead to unethical behavior, from exaggerated ego, temptation hijacked by an outside pressure, integrity failure, consequences not considered. And stinking thinking, I think that was maybe my, my favorite 
and the importance of, of organizational culture, you know, in, in terms of making sure that we don't run into problems in terms of ethics. And then the, I really like the way he differentiated between rules-based ethics and value-based ethics. Was there anything that, that you found particularly helpful? I just think the whole concept is is important because, like Kevin pointed out, you don't really think about it on a an average day, and most of us think we probably are acting ethical. But there's so many different things to be mindful of, and so I think it's just an important thing to keep top of mind. Well, uh, Kevin, thank you again for being with us on the Small Business Matters podcast, and I do hope that you'll come back and see us again. Okay, well, thank you very much, guys. I really appreciate you having me on. You're welcome. Thanks, thank Kevin. You. So. Uh, Taylor, we've got a number of things going on in, in the world of Small Business Matters. Our newsletter just went out recently. You know, we're celebrating 20 years on the newsletter. It's, wow. it's hard to imagine. I'm really excited. My newest book, the third book entitled The Meeting, is going to publisher, going to Amazon uh, this week and will be available uh, shortly uh, for anyone that might be interested. I'm really excited about this book. We just opened up registration for the Small Business Matters Boot Camp that kicks off in January of 2021. And I think, think that's it. And I mentioned the conference. Uh, we're beginning to work on the conference that'll be in May of 2021. So busy time for Small Business Matters. Yep, absolutely. All I can say is the faster 2021 can get here, the better. <laughs> the better. I agree. <laughs> so we'll close out. Thank you for listening, uh, guests, to the Small Business Matters podcast. It's the only podcast that truly matters to small business. May each of you continue to pursue all that matters. <laughs> <laughs>